I see myself. Now moonlit and star-sprinkling, Samite. Silver dawn blessed, twilight thrice. The east gate, two guardians of old flank the eastern gate, Gog and Magog, king and queen of the oaken people. My arrival is celebrated. Through the forest I walk. No, I am carried on a litter by my host to the water's edge. Now I go alone on foot across the lake to the Holy Isle. I am returned. I am returned here home. Many moons I've been away. In this lifetime, suns have passed as well. The rock I enter into Avalon's holy heart. I know this place. I know it well. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye. Welcome to Elemental Whispers, a podcast dedicated to creating pathways of remembrance through the sharing of personal experiences and real-life sacred stories of working with the community of other world beings for healing, growth, and joyful enchantment. I'm Diamira Rose D'Agostino, and this is my gift to you, a podcast that is really meant to be a doorway May it illuminate this pathway of magical remembrance. May its medicine of enchantment guide you in your elemental journey of soul, earth, and spirit. The sharing of this story is very, very personal. It is highly magical. And I hope it's relatable, even though the actual details of the story may not be an experience you've had. I hope that they reflect in some way moments in your own life of struggle and alchemy and rebirth and questioning and certainty and everything in between. Now, before I begin to see what wants to come forward, I want to invite you to support this podcast. If this podcast is blessing you, if the conversations are activating your heart with magic and remembrance and stirring possibility for you, If they are inspiring you in any way, it is really, really helpful to, first of all, for you to subscribe to wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe to the show. It is also really helpful if you leave a review. If you haven't left one already, please leave a review. And the most helpful reviews are those left on Apple. So if you listen there, definitely leave me a review and some stars. And third way that you can support this podcast of hopefully having greater visibility and being able to reach more and more people who would resonate with its energy is that you can share it yourself, share it via social media. Facebook, Instagram, wherever you play, there's a little share button wherever you listen to it and you can share it in text messages with your friends and family and anyone who you think would find it expansive and inspiring and enriching. I am so very grateful when the magic that I share is deeply received, appreciated, and abundantly compensated. So 
Thank you so much to all of you who have supported me in this work, in this medium, and I thank all of you who are going to. So today's episode, I want to return to my Avalon pilgrimage that I made last year, July of 2022. Now, I recorded an episode before I embarked on that journey about my intention for that particular pilgrimage, about some of the mythic threads that were starting to weave and dance with my own soul, inviting me, calling me forth on this pilgrimage. I shared about some of those story codes, about what I expected to happen and all that I didn't. And I also shared a little bit about the itinerary. Yeah, that episode was episode six, Endings and Beginnings. And then I went on that pilgrimage. And when I came back, I did record a video sharing some stories about the essences that I collected. And that is on YouTube. And you can check that out. But that was specifically focused on those sacred and holy medicines that were available for a short time for pre-order. Now, I will be making those essences available again for a short time. There are six of them. You can go back and listen to that video. They are going to be available for the month of April. You can place an order for any of those six. And to do so, you can just send an email to connect at dmurerose.com with your order, your mailing address. And once I send you the invoice, then you can pay me via Venmo or PayPal friends and family. That is in honor of this episode and feels really important and timely for right now. Those medicines are wanting to dance back into the world. (laughs) So I will link to that video in the show notes and you can learn all about those magical essences in that video. So I came back, I shared that video about the essence medicines. And if you were on my email list, you might've even been privy to some of my moments along the journey I recorded a couple of videos along the way. But for the most part, aside from friends and family, I have kept the inner workings and happenings of this journey very close to my heart. The truth is, is when I personally undergo a pilgrimage, a soul trip of this nature, I often need a lot of time to integrate, to process. And I have made the mistake in the past of sharing too early when I'm not ready to share. Now, in this case, I mentioned that I was hesitant to share this story, but I feel completely calm and it feels tender. So in some places, I may slow down or pause a little bit because I'm going to continue to check in with myself along the way, making sure that I'm sharing in a way that feels in integrity for my system and my soul. And for those energies and beings and that story that I collaborated with and and am still weaving with. So I'm standing at a doorway right now. The doorway that I'm staring at is one that is both the journey of sharing this soul pilgrimage It is also the doorway that I spoke to in that original episode, the doorway that I was in anticipation of walking through. For you see, I was going to Avalon. And by Avalon, I mean I was specifically going to Glastonbury and then carrying on to other places in England and eventually Wales. And I was going to Glastonbury to die. Now, Before you get excited or upset, I mean that in a spiritual sense of the word. I was going to die a spiritual death. And 
the death itself actually, it had been happening for the last couple years in different areas of my life, in different relationships that I have with beings in the other world. I've shared about that a lot in the original episode and in other episodes, probably holy death and letting go. The one piece that I will add now, and I just want to speak to, to presence is as much as all of those physical aspects of my life that I had let go of over the last couple years, you know, business work, all this stuff had a good death. I had completed those aspects of my life and given a good death to them. One of the most difficult aspects of this dying process that I am speaking to that unfolded in 2020, 2021 for me personally, was the death of the old Avalon. And I shared also about that in Avalon of the past, present, and future episode, which you can listen to. But there are really two components to the death of old Avalon. And part of this is the story that I personally and so many of you and so many people that I have known in this life and other other lifetimes, you know, have worked toward the dream of the old Avalon, right? And we already know how difficult it can be somebody who's worked at a company for 25 years and they retire and how that feels like an identity crisis and, and, and a death. And now what now? Well, imagine working for a dream, working toward a mission for thousands of years, for multiple incarnations and lifetimes. And then for that fulfillment to unfold is so much cause for celebration. And it's also a what now? Who am I? So if that aspect wasn't enough, there was, as I said, a secondary component to this. And that was that as that dream had completed, that many who were connected to that dream also chose to complete their journey on Gaia. And so there were many fairy elders that departed this dream, that departed the Gaian dream or vision or expression. And this is more than a death. This is about completing a a mission. And I personally made a choice after that I wanted to stay here for what was next. I wanted to journey with the new story that was being sung from the heart of the land. And part of this has to do with the new earth that is birthing, which I briefly spoke to in the episode where I shared about the authentic soul blueprint. So new earth is birthing and there is this new story. I've heard from many of you over the last few years that you also felt a sense of a shift. Some people experienced it and they experienced the influx of new energies that were arriving on the planet. But remember that the universe abhors a vacuum. So where a space is created, then energy will rush in to fill that space. And if you felt the energy and the influx of the new arrivals, then know that that very, may very well have signaled, whether you were aware of it or not, the exit of other energies. And it's all part of the cycle of life and death, but it doesn't mean it's not painful to let someone or something go that we have such deep connections with. And when I held the fairy vigil in early 2021, for those who were departing, many of the fairy elders and those who had been part of the old Avalon dream, I was wrecked because these were my friends. These were my soul companions. And yes, there's many that I've been in allyship with that are still here. Of course, there were a couple emails I received during that time. And I think some people misunderstood me and thought that I was saying that all fairies were evacuating, which (laughs) sounds pretty, I mean, ridiculous and silly. And that's not what I was saying at all. I was saying that there were beings that were leaving and it happens. And this was a mass exodus. 
And it wasn't bad. It was, it was signaling to us a completion that we had reached the end of an age. And yes, it was in some ways tied to some of the cyclical conversations we're having, the procession of the equinoxes, you know, moving into the age of Aquarius, these different time periods, it was definitely connected to, and it was also exclusive of that. It was its own thing. This was truly a completion of a mission, an end of an era, and the changing of the guard. In fact, I think that was the email title that I had called it, the changing of the guard. So this context is important to share with you because it was all of that. That happened in 2021, and it was all of that that I had gone through. And then, like I said, the holding the torch and allowing that closing of the old Avalon dream. And I had done the ritual and I had done the morning and I had done that, but now it was the secondary part of, okay, after the funeral, after the memorial, now sometimes, you know, you wait that, sometimes people wait six months to, to spread the ashes, right? It's that final goodbye. And that is what I went to Glastonbury to do. And so even though I knew that in my mind, even though I was so clear in my heart, the bigger part of me, that higher self, that soul consciousness, it was moving by this force of will, by it was just following the whispers of spirit and my own intuition. But when I got, but when I got to Glastonbury. Everything felt different. And it was a different that I had not expected. And this reactivated my grief in another way because I realized that as much as I thought I had said goodbye, I saw places where I was still clinging. I was still clawing after the old. I was still holding on, fingertips curled and tight. And If you have read my book, my memoir, Initiation, My Fairy Soul Awakening, first of all, if you haven't, then definitely grab a copy. What are you waiting for? It's an epic story. But if you have, then you know that Glastonbury played a significant, and also Cornwall, played a significant part in my early awakening into fairy, into who I am. And I've traveled there dozens of times since, and I was not prepared for all of the different that I experienced. So I'm just going to share with you a couple of different energies and ways it was different for me. And some of these are going to seem very simple and like, well, of course, Diamira, that's going to be different. And yet for me, you have to understand that it was almost as if someone who's like in a room and they are starting to feel alone and they start to go to like, there's 18 doors open and they are like, okay, I need to connect with some semblance of familiarity. And they go to one door and that door closes in their face and they go to another and it closes in their face. And they try to go to each door and all doors are closed in their face until they're standing there with nothing, with no strings of connection. And that in and of itself is its own trial that can shake one's soul. So first and foremost, I was there in July. Now, I almost never go to Glastonbury in the summer. I almost never go to Europe in the summer. I usually go on the shoulder season, spring and fall. They're glorious. It's not overpopulated with a lot of people, especially tourists. And it's just... Oh, my favorite time to travel there. But this was the summer and not only the summer. So there were throngs of people that I was not accustomed to, but it was also a time where England was experiencing an unprecedented heat wave, getting up into a hundred, 102 degrees, which is very very unusual for that part of the world. And so just the physicality of that, there were so many people and it was hot and 
that was really different for me. And so already it didn't, I'm like, this is not Glastonbury. This is not the Glastonbury I know. <laughs> I'm used to it being misty and rainy and cool and and hardly any people. I also tried to go to my favorite place, which was the Hawthorne, which I wrote about in my book. It was where I stayed the very first time I was there in Glastonbury. And it was owned by a man named Simon, who was just kind of this anchor. He probably doesn't even remember me, but he he felt sort of like a comforting father figure. We barely talked when I was there, and yet I felt safe somehow. Not to mention, he was known for cooking the most extraordinary curries. I will say, potentially in England. Um, And I didn't often stay there when I returned to Glastonbury. Now I stay in these cottages of Middlewick, which I love. They're a little bit out of the center of the city, they're on the edge, so they're closer to the tour, and you can walk to the tour in, you know, 15 minutes or so. I love staying in Middlewick, but I always go to Simon's to have a curry. Well, I Googled and I searched, and I couldn't find the Hawthorne. And finally, I found some outdated announcement, and I called And somebody else answered the phone and they said some other name. And I said, where's the Hawthorne? They said, oh, you know, old Simon, you know, he sold the place um, last year. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, he's off. He's retired and married and all this and, you know, living the good life, blah, blah, blah. And, And I was so happy for him. And I was so heartbroken. I actually had brought a book. I was going to gift him, you know initiation because he is, he makes an appearance in there, just a brief one, but I thought it would be fun. And alas, he was not there. That Hawthorne was not there to anchor. That place just felt so wrong. And there were things like this that kept happening throughout the trip. And in particular in Glastonbury and then later Cornwall. So I I saw how I kept trying to follow the old pathways, to do what I normally did, follow the old ways of journeying Glastonbury. You know, there was a certain order of sacred sites that I would always take. It wasn't set in stone, but the first thing I did that when I arrived is I actually knew I could not go to the tour and I had no interest in going to the Abbey, I went straight to the well. And I spent an entire day at the well, also unusual for me, but this felt so right. And I spent the day singing to the well. And in that moment, I experienced what I call expanded embodied mythic reality, where I am living in a multidimensional experience of what is. I am living in the here and now that most humans see and experience on a day-to-day basis. And I am also seeing and experiencing and living in the crack between the worlds. I am seeing the energy flows in the land. I am seeing the dragons as they swirl and glide across those energy flows I am seeing the spirit of the well as she rises in response to my song and the devotions of so many other people that come there. I am seeing myself across time and space. I am seeing the Diamira wearing the clothes that I was wearing in a modern world, and I am also seeing myself robed with a medallion suspended from my neck, one of blue and gold and silver. So in this way, I... I'm not necessarily journeying, but I am living and weaving with the myth that is all time, every time, everywhere now. And that is how I began that journey. It was the only way I could begin the journey. The well was the place that was the place I sang my prayers into. My prayers that came forward in a language 
that was both from the stars and from the light within the earth. The language that in the Forest Speaks series that I write, the book series, I call Ellery or the language of the trees. And after that, I made my way back to the cottage and I took a very different route than I normally do. And I stopped by Magog. And Magog is one of the last standing ancient oaks of the Oaks of Avalon that used to guard one of the entrances to the Holy Isle. Her beloved Gog has already gone on, although you can see his spirit hovering, or I could when I was there. And Magog also stands between life and death. And I thought, how apt that I am here to make this final death walk. And I sit with her, my teacher. Let her anoint me through her song codes and holy medicine. Let her show me the way. For she knows she straddles that line between life and death. And I return to my cottage. The following day, I awoke and I received a phone call from my partner to inform me that he was not well. He was sick. He had been traveling to a conference and he had come back the day before I left. And so we had crossed paths and he was like, yeah, I just want to let you know I'm sick. So, you know, juice up on some vitamin C and all the things, but you know, hopefully like, how are you feeling? I was like, I'm feeling fine. <laughs> like, why are you telling me this? No, I refuse to get sick while I'm traveling. Refuse for so many reasons. So he was like, well, I'm sure you'll be fine. Uh, that night I had a scratchy throat. I chalked it up to being part of the spiciness of the Indian food that I had enjoyed. Alas, not from Simon's, <laughs> not from Hawthorne's because that was gone, but from a different place. And that night before I went to bed, I journaled. And funny me, I started to map out my plan of action that I had for this wonderful death ritual. Tomorrow I was going to was pretty sure I was prepared, or maybe I would give it one more day and I was going to walk up to the tour and do my thing. <laughs> After all, this was just the icing on the cake. This was the cherry on top. I, you know, what more was there to do in terms of, I didn't need some long drawn out hours long ritual. I was ready to do this thing. It was as if I couldn't carry it any longer. I was just ready to release this. But then there was the fogginess as well, and I journaled about that too. But how am I really going to do this? What, what does this look like? What does this ritual look like? Boy, was I getting in my head. Well, all of that was out the water when I woke up the next day and I couldn't move. I squished open one eye, and for a moment, you know if you lie really still and you don't move too much, you can sort of maybe trick yourself or fool yourself into thinking that that ache that you feel is maybe just transient and that pounding headache that you feel perhaps is just from the lack of sleep and jet lag. But you can only fool yourself for so long, maybe about 20 seconds. And then when you choose to get up, all bets are off. Because when I did, the room was spinning my head was pounding. I thought it was going to burst out of my forehead. Like my brain was going to explode. My head hurt so bad. I was so sick. I couldn't walk. I was dizzy. I was lightheaded. I truly thought as the day waned on that I was on death's door. And I remember railing and wailing at the universe. How could this happen? What is this? How could I get sick while I'm traveling? And I only have five days here. I have a plan and I have a way that this is going to go. And I don't have any plan, but I did have a plan and I did and I didn't, if you know what I mean. And this wasn't part of it. And this is ruining everything. This Illness is ruining my death. How dare it? Now, you might be laughing on the other end. 
I was a swirl of emotions. I was angry because I was worried that I was ruining everything. I was missing my opportunity, that I had done something wrong. But then the more I thought about it, the more my head hurt and I could barely think about that. Then I was upset that I was thinking because I knew that I was in my head about it. And I told myself to get out of my head about it. And yet I couldn't. And all I kept thinking was, oh my God, please let me take a nap or let me wake up tomorrow and this be completely gone. Let this just be a fluke. Now, mind you, I am alone in a cottage in a country. I don't have any friends here anymore. It's been many years since I lived in England. And I am <laughs> really feeling like I am on death's door. Was I? Ex- am I exaggerating? Maybe, except for I cannot recall a time in my life where I was sicker. I had mono when I was a teenager. This was n- th- that was nothing compared to this. I was really <laughs> that was a punctuation of my altar. I was really really ill. I couldn't walk. So not only were my plans dashed, but then I also had the you know the fear and the um I had the loneliness of being alone. And then I couldn't stop thinking that I had just ruined it, that I had just ruined my chance of doing what I had come to do. It's so silly now because we know that all is unfolding in a way that, you know, it's hard for us to sometimes reckon with this, but there are no accidents. And I can now, eight months later, see the beauty of this. Did I feel like I was truly on the verge of death? Yes. Was there a hair of me that could, was conscious enough to see the irony that I had come to, quote unquote, have the spiritual death, and now I was truly experiencing what I felt was death? And I remember there was this moment where I was so sick, and I was just lying back, and I really felt as if I were floating in that timeless space of surrender in the great void on the river Styx. That's what I felt like. And there was a time where I fought it for the first day. Oh, I fought it tooth and nail. But there was a moment on day two, day three, where I just surrendered. And that was where the medicine lie. That was where it lie. And that, like I'm just seeing myself floating along this black river, the river of death. And I'm just seeing these identifications falling away. All of it fell away. My neat little plan that supposedly wasn't a plan for quote unquote, my ritual death, all of it. And I don't think I said this at the beginning, but even though this was very personal for me and I was going to do this very personally, I also want to say that I do feel that a large part of what I went to do was also to for it it was working at a global and a collective level. And that's going to make a little bit more sense to you in a little bit. But I just wanted to say that, that often I work in that way. I don't always work at the collective humanity level, but I am often working at a global Gaian level. And so even though it was interesting, you know, I had gone through all of these releasings over the last couple of years, and this was kind of that final dotting of the eye, if you will. But this was also to me, like now I was also standing forth for all of Avalon and helping her release. And so of course, in order to do that, I was feeling it very personally because I was almost, I felt acting as a surrogate. As I was going through these motions, I was going for it and standing forth for Avalon herself to honor her and help her lay to rest. So it was that much more intense. On the fourth day, so three days of what I'm going to call death. And on the fourth day, I woke up and I did not feel a hundred percent, but I knew I wasn't going to die. I was feeling so much better, so much better. Oh my goodness. And I was still really weak. 
but I was strong enough that I could walk outside my cottage and I could walk to Magog, which was only a 10 minute walk in, you know, along horse fields and orchards and hedgerows. And I sat with her that day. I just sat with her. That's all I could do. I, I couldn't make it any further. Like I said, that was a 10 minute walk. That was as far as I could go. And I turned back. Actually, truth be told, I, if I am remembering correctly, I actually think I did try to push on. And I walked about a minute. Would you believe that I actually walked in the direction of the tour? I walked towards it. I, I think there must have been some hilarious part of me, hysterical part, that actually thought she was going to walk that tour. <laughs> yeah, I, I walked like one minute. I mean, I didn't even come anywhere near the tour, not even in through like that gate. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm talking about there's a, there's a pathway, you know, you're walking through hedgerows and pathways. And as the pathway started to incline a little bit upwards, I took a two or three steps and I realized I had no strength and I could not walk. <laughs> so my happy ass did turn around. I did surrender again. And I went back to the cottage and that was all I did on that day. And, you know, I haven't looked at my journal and the time is all wonky in my brain and mixed up. And I can't tell you if on the next day, I don't know if the next day I walked up to Magog and sat with her again. And I think I got a little farther and I think I came back home. But at some point I did get to that tour. And I will say, this whole time, my brain is still in the background. You've ruined this because you don't have a lot of time. You only had five nights here. If you've been sick for three and now you this, you, you just ruined this. Now you have to rush your death process. <laughs> you have to rush, rush your ritual. I mean, it was just ridiculous the way the monkey mind is, but it was really active. Lo and behold, I ended up talking to the owner who I knew from when I ran retreats and I shared with her that I wanted to stay a little longer, but I saw it was booked up. And she said, let me see what I can do. And she moved some things around. And at the last minute, she got me a couple extra nights at a brilliant price, really a blessing. And it was perfect because I had my next place booked in Cornwall, but I had left three or so days in between. Because I, you know, thought I was going to be hopping around somewhere in a forest between Glastonbury and Cornwall. But what it turned out is I needed those couple days because I, sometimes we just, you know, we plan for what we can't plan for. And that's what spirit guided me to do. I knew I had to have those two free days in between. I just had them completely unbooked. So I was able to expand my time in Glastonbury. And as I said, for a few days, I just walked to Magog and I'd spend some time with her. And then I knew it was time. And so that day that I went to climb the tour to do that final death ritual, at this point, I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't care. I just went with all of me and none of me. Because so much of me had been let go of in those three days of sickness and dying. So I just went. And again, this was a time where I was truly embodying mythic reality. I walked as myself, but I also walked as another. I was she who was going to die and die well. I have no idea what I was wearing in physical, regular 2022 July world. But I can tell you that when I looked at myself with my inner eye, I was dressed in these black and blue gowns. And I could see myself begin to walk. It was as, as if I was walking through forest and coming to that lake that I needed to cross to get to the Holy Isle. It was a journey that my soul had made so many times in different lifetimes. And of course, there is no lake any longer, but there was in my embodied mythic reality. And I came to Magog 
who used to mark the entrance to the Holy Isle, just as I would have walked many times before in other lifetimes. And as I arrived, I arrived with an entourage. I had death birds at my heel and all kinds of winged ones cawing and flying and flapping. And I stood there in both all my power and also stripped down. It was a very Inanna moment. And I connected with Magog and then I kept on walking because my time had come. I had been prepared. I had been anointed in the old way. And I arrived at the base of the tour, which is, as you know, the hill. And I climbed only up a short way and I didn't take the regular paths, but I scaled up the grassy side just above the apple orchard where I could still see the trees. And as I looked up, these glorious clouds were forming patterns around the setting sun. I have pictures that I took from this moment, and this is a way in which I have never seen the tour before or since. Even the tour felt like it was preparing to say goodbye. Goodbye to the old, goodbye to whatever. And so I scaled up a little way on the side. Again, there was nobody there because I didn't take the regular paths, and I could see people in the distance walking up the path, but they were no bother to me. And I just crashed into the grass. I fell into it, collapsed, and I let myself be held. And in this moment, in this moment where I was embodying this mythic reality, I saw myself dressed in the gowns of Avalon, and I saw that medallion that hung from my neck, the medallion that represented Avalon herself. And together, she and I were prepared for the death barge, the barge that would carry us to our final resting place. And I lay there with my arms crossed, not unlike a mummy, and she, Avalon, on my breast. And together, we floated on this death barge, whoosh, the waters of Avalon, carrying us, carrying us to the place where King Arthur was laid down to the place where so many have gone. And simultaneously, there was another part of me, perhaps the totality of my being, she who sees, she who knows. She was in a great ruby red gown with a golden crown at her brow. And she stood there looking on an observer, seeing the part of her, the self that was dying, seeing also the part of her that was honoring and carrying Avalon to its final resting place. Together they were going, while this other part of me looked on. It was surreal, and the whole experience, while completely outside of time, and we know spirit time works differently, the whole experience must have been 15 minutes, maybe longer, maybe less, but this was not some (laughs) drawn-out... processing of three hours. No, all of that had been done. And then it was done. Now, of course, the story does not end here. But I think this is enough for today. And you may be wondering, but what happens if you have, quote unquote, died? Do you then rise and rebirth, what happens after? This is only day five or six of your journey, and you were over there for obviously four weeks. So (laughs) what are you leaving out, Diamira? Well, I am leaving a lot, but it is for another day. I'd like to complete this part of the story with an excerpt from my journal. This is the final piece I want to share, and this is reiterating some of what I spoke earlier, but perhaps in a different light. The day that 
I quote unquote died on the hill. That day, as I was preparing, I was in conversation with one of my beloved allies, one of the little people who I call Hobble. And he is a hobgoblin and has been with me for so long. He is connected to the old Avalon, but has also chosen to dance within the new. I hadn't felt his presence, and I said, well, where is he? And all of a sudden he appears, and I said, where have you been? And he says, and this is how I hear him, out roam in the fields, roaming with me friends. <laughs> so they're still here, I think. There are those who are still here. A perplexed look is all I'm given in answer. Will you sleep here, I ask. Do you sleep here in the cottage? If you want me to, milady, but normally I sleep out under the stars. Of course he does. (laughs) I have questions, I say. Oh, he says but I may or may not have answers. I am bound by the laws of the land, and only answers to questions you are truly ready to ask may be given. You humans ask questions before they are ready to be worked. You have no idea the things you set in motion with your questions alone. Be mindful. And in that moment, whether I had asked a question or not, I am certain that my heart asked one. For what I saw was that I myself had come holding the new story. And I saw something that had been spoken to me many, many, many years ago, and only in this moment now did it make sense that I am the daughter of the old and the new. I hold energies of both, and thus I could be a bridge. It is why I was invited and tasked with this holy appointment to lay the old Avalon to bed. The doorway or bridge is there for us all to walk through together. It's my doorway, but it is all of our doorways. It is yours and it is theirs too. Theirs meaning those beings of the other world who have tended these portals, these codes. And I say, for it is not just me who is dying. They are dying to the old story as well. I see myself, now moonlit and star-sprinkling Samite, silver dawn blessed, twilight thrice, the east gate, two guardians of old flank the eastern gate, Gog and Magog, king and queen of the oaken people. My arrival is celebrated, through the forest I walk, no, I am carried on a litter by my host to the water's edge now I go alone on foot across the lake to the holy isle I am returned I am returned here home many moons I've been away in this lifetime suns have passed as well The rock I enter, into Avalon's holy heart. I know this place. I know it well. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye.
Thank you so very much for spending this time with me and for allowing me to share the magic of the story with you. If you desire to drink deeply of the cup of enchantment and soul remembrance, if something within this story is sparking something alive, twirling something awake within you, I would invite you to check out the Avalon Pilgrimage Essences. There were six of them that were collected during this extraordinary month-long journey. Magog, the oak tree essence, who I mentioned in the story, is one of those essences, along with five others, who you can learn all about in the video where I shared the sacred story codes of these essences and their collection. If you are interested in placing an order, they will be available for the month of April. So make sure you place your order by April 30th and you can experience the magical medicines that these lands and these beings have for you at this time. Now, if you want even more of this kind of story, I would recommend you check out my book, Initiation, My Fairy Soul Awakening. It is an epic memoir that details my early awakening into the fairy realms. For one of the greatest invitations of our time is to open the portals of our hearts and re-enchant our lives. Until next time, blessings from the heart of the ancient forest.